I failed as a parent. Now what? That's the title of the podcast and the article on our website. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas, and I am glad that you are here. I want to talk about this idea, parental failure, because every parent in the world has thought about this. And for some parents, it can really be not just crippling, but it can be a form of punishment And so I have written an article here because I don't want you to punish yourself. I don't want you to live under the cloud of unnecessary guilt. And so I hope that this podcast will be helpful to you. I hope also, if you take the time, that you can read the article that I've written for you. It is is on our website, again, rickthomas.net. I am Rick Thomas. You can find it there, the title of it, I Failed as a Parent. Now what? If you search for it on our website, the easiest way to do that is just the... If you go minimalization in your search, wherever you're searching, it typically is easier to find something. And so if you just type failed as a parent, I promise you that this will pop up on your screen and you'll be able to read it. You'll also be able to share it. And so I want to jump into this podcast. I hope it's beneficial for you. We do have free community forums. I know some of you will want to talk about this, and I would love for you to do that. Our team is waiting on you right now to answer whatever questions that you may have about parenting. Let us serve you that way. This is a free service that's provided to you by the people who support our ministry. We have a small army of people that make all this happen. Sometimes we get those emails that says, thank you for all that you do. They see our resources everywhere, all over social media. And I'm not sure if they they realize how it's possible. Uh, I do. I personally work long hours, and I work virtually every day of the year. And it takes a lot of work to do this, and so I don't really have the time to do anything else other than produce resources freely for people to enjoy, and I do find great pleasure in that. I was speaking with an attorney this week, and he was asking me about what I did for a living, and I told him, and we were talking about retirement, and I said, well, I have no intentions of retiring because if I retired... I would start doing exactly what I'm doing right now. So what's the point? If the Lord allows me to live to retirement age, I'll just, what I'll do is I'll retire and then start doing exactly what I'm doing now. But the reason that you're able to enjoy these resources is because, as I said, there's a small group of people who believe in what we're doing as well, and they want to help us. They are, I call it a partnership in the gospel as we're taking the practical message of Christ around the globe. And they believe that. They believe in that. They want to help people. You will never know them, by the way. You'll hardly, I doubt you'll ever meet any of them. But I thank God for them every day because they are the ones that are underwriting this ministry I say all that to say that we have a free community forum that you can access. It won't cost you a a dime. And so if you get your username and password and then log in, you can ask the question that you want. 
It could be about this idea of parenting, but perhaps you have something else on your mind, and so it doesn't matter to us. Uh, We want to serve you, and we can't do that if you don't let us do that. And so what are you waiting for? If you are a supporting member, then go to the private side, uh, the private forums, and that's where the small army is, and and it'll just be us, and you can talk to me and our team on the private side. I failed as a parent. Now, what? Now, when a person says that they failed as a parent, what they are sharing with you is the concern of every parent. And I realize that parental failure can differ significantly, but none of us do it ideally, which is why you want to think about your limitations and your imperfections, as well as what God might be doing in your life and family. Nobody is going to do this perfectly. All you have to do is stop right now, look in the rearview mirror as it pertains to parenting, and you can list a thing or two that you have you wish you wish you could have a do-over or a take back. We don't get those. But it is good that you will self-assess yourself because you do want to address whatever things that you can change about yourself. But I want to go a little farther than just going on a sin hunt here, or I want to go a little farther than just rebuking you because that's not what this podcast is about. Good parents care for their children. Now, of course, our problem, the problem with good parents, is that many times, many believers specifically, we will overcare for them, which is typical, especially for Christian parents who want to see their children walk in the faith. And that is really the big deal. We know that we have just a few short years to teach them how to love God and love others more than anything else in the world. And sometimes some children, for whatever reason, they do not choose to do that. That's not the life that they live. And then parents begin to scrutinize themselves. Where did I go wrong? What did I do? What did I do wrong? And unfortunately for those parents who overcare, over-worry. These parents, they're coming along, this idea of coming alongside their children can become an idol for them. So you can substitute the word over-care and over-worry with the word idol, because all of those three words are associated with, with each other. Now, I understand it. There's probably not a day that goes by where I don't think about my parenting Our children, the temptations to false worship, that's the idolatry that I was talking about earlier, and God's role in our family. I cherish my children dearly, and I would love nothing more than to see them walking in the faith, walking in truth. In fact, I have quoted that to my children (laughs) so many times that they know it by heart. What I'm talking about is 3 John 4, where John says, I I find no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth every year when my birthday comes around, every year when Christmas comes around. It just happened recently where my youngest daughter asked, Dad, I, I know that what you really want is for us to walk in truth, but is there something else that you want that we can get you? 
They've heard it that many times. And that is really, I, I could not find any greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. And so when a parent talks about their failures, they're doing so because they know that their child has made objectively wrong choices. And so they see the wrong choices that the parent is uh, that the child has made, and then they look in the mirror, so to speak, and and then they begin to talk about their parental failures. Now, the parent's primary concern is typically the outcome of the child's future, but they are they're not adequately addressing this problem. What they're choosing rather to do is to fixate on parental failure. Now, this is not a bad thing. I realize there are some people who just won't take the hit whatsoever, meaning that they would never accuse themselves of doing anything wrong, whether it's parental failure or anything else is going wrong in their relational life. They never think about possibly, potentially, that they might have made a mistake. And so I applaud this type of parent's sober self-assessment. But I'm also compelled to adjust the Christian parent's thinking because they have taken the problem too far. Anytime there are relational issues between two people, the first place to begin assessing the situation is with the plank in your eye, as Jesus taught us in Matthew 7. If you don't start there, judging the log in your own eye, you will more than likely come to a wrong conclusion. I think it's inevitable that you will come to the wrong conclusion if your starting point is to judge the other person. You judge yourself first. But some parents begin and stay with the plank in their eyes as they fixate on their mistakes. Now, that type of attitude is not good. That's too far. Yeah, start with yourself. Judge the log in your eye. But make sure you have a comprehensive understanding of what may be going on here. These type of parents never move past their failure as a parent. Now, I applaud the humility for taking their soul to task through a sober self-assessment, but they have not wholly brought this matter to the cross. It's a good thing to assess any known sin that you may have committed and to bring it to Jesus. Jesus takes care of stuff like that. But it is an instructive thing when you cannot leave it with Jesus, but you continue to bring up what He has eternally forgiven. Now, this posture of not letting it go after you've asked God to forgive you, and perhaps you have asked others to forgive you as well, but this posture of not letting it go perpetuates fear even after God has released the parent through the power of the finished work of His Son. When our Lord said on the cross that He had finished His work, we should let His words rule our hearts. Now, the main problem here is the nature of the parent's complaint. Listen to the title of this article again, and my question to you is, do you hear anything that's wrong with it? Here's the title, I failed as a parent, now what? Do you hear what's wrong with this? Do you see what the parent is doing? 
The parent has set herself up as the plaintiff, the prosecuting attorney, and the judge in these matters. The plaintiff is the one that brings the complaint. And so the parent is bringing the complaint about the matter. The prosecuting attorney, she's also that as well, she brings a reason for the conviction. And then the judge, her third role, the third hat that she's wearing in this matter, she listens to the argument of the plaintiff. She agrees with it of the prosecuting attorney, and she condemns herself, the judge. This worldview is a, it's a godless, hermetically sealed, closed system that does not account for God in any way. She's not allowing the Lord to be part of her situation. I run into this regularly with the counselors that I train in our mastermind program. They will occasionally say something like, that was an awful counseling session. Like my parent friend, I applaud the humility as shown by a willingness to humbly self-assess the counselor's role in the session. And perhaps... The counselor could have done some things better. And no doubt, every parent should do some things better, too. We all fail in certain ways. I told my children many years ago, they were, they were rugrats, they, they were toddlers. But I told them that if you want to know what God is like, all they would have to do is to observe my behavior. I would encourage you to, to tell your children that, hey, if, if you want to know what God is like, then just observe my behavior. Now then I pause for a few seconds to let the weight of my words fill the room and find clarity in their minds. And then I followed up with this statement. By the way, this statement is critical. I said, there is one huge difference between me and God the Father. I sin often. And the Lord never sins. And apart from my sin, I should give you a reasonable picture of what God the Father is like in your lives. The reason I said this to them is because Paul was very clear in Ephesians 5.1, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Philippians 4.9. But in Ephesians 5.1, he says, As beloved children, imitate God. And I, wanted, I already knew what my children were doing I was teaching them what God is like, what Christ is like. And so they naturally would make the conclusion that the life that I am living is a representation of that. Children do that. That's an easy connection for them to make. But the problem is, is that I do it imperfectly. And so I wanted them to know that I am not a perfect parent. I fell but it is the sin part of our lives where we cloud the picture of what God is like. And that's why I was so clear with them. And most parents are well aware of their problem with emulating God imperfectly. But personal failure, I want you to hear this loud and clear, personal failure does not thwart the power or purposes of God. How can I stop God from accomplishing whatever he wants to achieve in a counselee of mine? That's what I tell my mastermind students. When you, when you say that that was an awful counseling session, it's kind of arrogant. 
God can do what He wills when He wills, and you do not know the full nature of the Holy Spirit and what He might be doing in somebody's heart. How can I stop God from accomplishing whatever He wants to achieve in a counselee of mine? How can I stop God from accomplishing whatever He wants to achieve in my children? We need to stop putting ourselves in the center of the universe as though our actions matter in a sovereign, binding way. Now, where there might have been some things the counselor should have done differently, how in the world can the counselor know what the Spirit of God did in the person's heart? There have been many times where I thought my counseling was inadequate, and it probably was. But I would later hear how God did an excellent job in the person's life. Imagine that. And I've also thought many times that the counseling was proper and spot-on, but the counselee never changed. Who can know the mind of God? How can anyone discern the mysteries of the Lord's work in any of our lives? Paul said it this way as he was doxologizing in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of God and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? When you're stuck in regret, you need to re-index your heart back to the gospel because the gospel does many things. Let me give you a short list of a few of those things that are pertinent to this case study about parental failure. The gospel is more significant than all your sin. The gospel can forgive you for any of your sins. Your effort does not help the gospel. Your failure does not hinder the gospel. The gospel does not need you to be a success. The gospel allows you to cooperate with God. The gospel says you are not the Messiah, or as I like to say, a mini-Messiah. You are not a mini-Messiah. The gospel releases you from fear of failure. And then finally, the gospel is a reminder to rest. You must do more than understand these gospel truths. Most people can say yes and amen to these things, but you must live in the goodness and the freedom of these gospel truths. The pur purpose of the gospel is to set you free. If you're not free, you need more than knowledge about gospel facts. You need to apply the gospel in real and practical ways to your life. The failed parent, and I'm putting that in quotation marks, by the way, the failed parent is living under the Old Testament laws where they had to scrutinize everything and make a sacrifice to be sure God's pleasure would rain down on them. This is also called legalism. Because what the parent is actually saying, if I had done X, Y, and Z rather than A, B, and C, then my child would be okay. Do you hear the legalism in that? Jesus was the once-for-all sacrifice who releases the fearful parent from such bondage. Now, there is more than likely something else happening that you want to bring to light in this parent. Now, you want to be careful here. You want to tread carefully 
but you want to be comprehensive. You see, the parent's child made some awful mistakes, and she rightfully has to answer for the errors. There has to be a reason for what happened, which is why she's prosecuting herself. I mean, she's acknowledging the mistakes. She's just not letting them go. She's not dismissing them out of hand. But no, there are legitimate, measurable, objective mistakes, and she has to give an answer for it. And so what she's doing, the answer that she's giving, is she's prosecuting herself. But there is one answer that she has not come to terms with yet. God allowed her child's mistakes to happen Listen to the sovereignty in that statement. God was in the errors of her child. Omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient God could not do otherwise. Can God use sin sinlessly? Will God permit sin for His greater good? You have to factor this into this equation. This theological worldview can create a problem for the Christian. I remember seeing a movie where a sibling uh, could not keep his brother from dying. The point of the film was powerful. The sibling happened to be there when someone killed his brother. Within seconds of his brother's death, he yelled to the heavens, I hate you, God. It was a bold statement that revealed his heart. Now, while I... I don't agree with his attitude about God. I do understand how he arrived at that attitude. He believed God could control the events in his brother's life. Yes, the Lord can do that. And then he watched his brother die. And so God did not control the events, but allowed this sinful thing to happen. And the natural response... He blamed God. His theology was weak. Many Christian parents have an inadequate theology too. They know there is someone to blame, and they know they, they can't blame God. They have enough Christian about themselves that they're not going to say that. Therefore, they blame themselves. A Christian parent won't be free from this poor thinking until she can acknowledge God's role in her child's life and fully rest in God's sovereignty. While she is not to blame God, she must fully trust Him. This type of self-prosecuting parent is somewhere between blaming God and not trusting God, which is why she blames herself. I don't want to blame God. Of course, she's not trusting God either. She's somewhere in between, and so she chooses to blame herself. She takes her anger over what is happening in her life, her child's life specifically. She takes it out on herself. This is her atonement. This is the way of, of paying for what went wrong. You see, blaming is a form of anger. This parent will not extricate herself from blame because the thing she wants to happen is not happening. And as long as the child never changes, she will always be blaming herself because she can't blame God for it. So she takes it out on herself. If it does not come to pass, the child's change, which it has not, someone has to be at fault. 
according to her faulty theology. She wants to resolve her child's failure according to her expectations, according to her timetable, according to how she wants this outcome to happen. And as long as she holds on to that, this all-about-her worldview, she'll always have to lay blame on someone, even if it is herself. The raw truth is that she is angry at God because she's not getting what she wants. Now, you want to be careful here. You want to tread very carefully and compassionately here. You probably can't make that statement to her because she won't have a theology substructure that could absorb what, what you are saying to her. But she will need to let go of her dream. Her dream is a child made in her image, and she needs to trust God. Sovereign God is in control. Now, whether she's blaming the child, whether she's blaming herself, whether she's blaming God, all three of those things eventually lead ultimately to blaming God because He, sovereign God, is not changing this matter. And when she does this, the subtle anger, the passive anger toward God, it will go away when she trusts Him. And the blame that she heaps on herself, it will also disappear. As long as she refuses to let go of her dreams and desires for her child, she'll always be in bondage to the child's failure and the child's future. This bondage will turn, in, turn, turn on her in forms of anger. I've given you one, blame is a form of anger. So is criticalness and despair and depression and bitterness and hopelessness, frustration and confusion. All within this case study are forms of anger. But you also want to dig deeper than this. The real question we have to arrive at is what is going on in this person's heart? What is it that keeps a slimy grip on the idol that is in her heart? Well, the obvious answer is unbelief, as I've already mentioned, outlined. She is not trusting God. But attached to the unbelief in God, you're going to find something else. And typically, it is the fear of what other people think about the child's failure and her being the mom. This perspective is a big deal for parents and maybe even more so with mothers. Mothers can be child-centered. Even those who don't admit it are probably more child-centered than they think, especially if they are Christians because of their strong desires for their children to live for God. Fear of man or fear of what others think is a universal sin that we all struggle with to varying degrees. And one of the snares where the fear of others will trap a person is in their parenting. We want others to perceive us as good parents. And that's why I say this is typically a problem. You do want to factor this idea into the situation, into the dynamic that's going on in this parent's heart. If we're not careful, it will be less about parenting our children for the glory of God and more about the glory of our reputation. Now, I know that you have done this. I have done this. Haven't you feared to some degree how your son or your daughter didn't measure up to another child or family that you respected when the awards were passed out? Weren't you thinking about how great it would be if, if your child won? One of the verses that helps me in this matter is 
2 Corinthians 10, 12. Paul said it this way, love this verse, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. There is nothing left to do here for this parent but to fall to their knees and beg for God's forgiveness for caring more about people's opinion than he is. There's only one opinion that matters and is not yours or mine. The title of this podcast is I Failed as a Parent. Now what? I've given you some few, a few ideas to consider. It's definitely not an exhaustive list. I do want to ask you a couple of questions in the call to action. Number one, this parent will need to work through her high view of herself. She cannot be the plaintiff, the prosecuting attorney, and judge of her situation. It is arrogance to put yourself in such a position. She's not that great, not that righteous, not that sufficient for such matters. God must be allowed to be part of her dilemma. Number two, she must fix her insufficient understanding and application of the gospel as it pertains to this situation. Number three, she must wrestle through the anger she has, especially any hidden disappointment that comes through her accusation. My child made a mistake, and I'm the blame. Others could perceive this as self-deprecation, as humility, but God is sovereign. The real unspoken truth here is God allowed this. To say I'm the blame is a subtle accusation against the sovereignty of God. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.